Christmas came on Sunday that year, and in the congregation that I was serving, we had planned a special Christmas service. We had called off the early nine o'clock service. We had canceled Sunday school, planned everything for as many who would to gather in that beautiful historic sanctuary. But when we entered the building that day, we heard an unexpected sound. It was beautiful music coming from the grand piano in the, in the sanctuary, but it wasn't our regular pianist. It wasn't anybody, the truth is, that it wasn't anybody we had ever seen before, and honestly, no one we would ever see again. It was a woman dressed all in white, from head to toe, sitting at the piano, playing magnificently. We all enjoyed it. We greeted one another. We greeted her. And when the hour struck, we began with our planned worship service, and it went wonderfully well. The sanctuary was full. The music was outstanding. And the sermon was the best Christmas sermon I had ever preached. Well, we always tell ourselves that. In any event, everything was going well, but in the back of my mind, I suspected that there would be a different note before the day was over. And sure enough, after the benediction, our angelic visitor came up and said to me, she was hungry. She hadn't had anything to eat. Was there something we could do? <clears throat> to tell you the truth, it wasn't an easy request. Some of our church leaders realized what was going on. They came up to, to uh, try to help me think through the, the situation. It was Christmas Day, and in that county seat town, nothing was open. The restaurants were closed. The 24-hour supermarket was closed. Nothing was open. Jan and I were leaving town as soon as we could, traveling an hour away where we were going to enjoy Christmas with relatives in a nursing home. I felt the frustration building up in me. We helped people in that church all the time. Why did she come at that time? We had procedures and plans for helping people, but she didn't fit any of our plans. I'm really ashamed to admit it, but maybe you've had the same thought at one time or another. Did you ever just really not want to help? Jesus was having a time, a tired time. The way Matthew's gospel tells us the story, think about the, the two things that happened right before this gospel lesson for today. First, you have, in Matthew's telling, the visit of Jesus to the home synagogue at Nazareth, and, you know, that didn't turn out very well. Then there was the terrible story of King Herod and how he arrested John the Baptist and had him executed. And then we come to this story. Jesus was tired. He was exhausted. If, if discouragement was ever a part of his mind and heart, and I happen to believe it, it could have been, it would have been at that time. He needed solitude. He sought a time away, apart, to restore his spirit. And when he looked up, there were 5,000 people who'd followed him. Was it a nuisance? I, can, I could understand if that's what he thought. Why are these people bothering me at this time? Or there's another human uh, emotion that we might feel at a time like that. 
the, the, it could have been a point of pride. Look, I'm exhausted. I'm worn out. And yet look at how many people find that they need me. But for Jesus, none of those, neither of those things was his motivation. For Jesus, it was all about compassion. Compassion. That word, you look it up in Webster, it, it, he says it came from a Latin uh, word meaning to bear burdens with another. The Greek word in, in Matthew's text uh, means the pain of love. So Jesus looks at the crowd. He, first of all, he heals the sick, and then he addresses the problem of food. When early Christians celebrated the Lord's Supper, they remembered stories like this. The feeding stories that we have in the gospel were an important part of, of the communion service because eating at table in that culture was the strongest symbol of solidarity that they knew. And so it is today when we read this story, we read how the 5,000 were brought close to Jesus and we realize that we too are brought close to him as we share this story. It's like a family meal and Jesus, the host at the, at the head of the table. It's ironic as we gather together on August the 2nd, it's the first Sunday of the month. It would normally be a communion Sunday in so many of our United Methodist churches. We are not having communion today because of the, the pandemic. But there will come a time when we can gather again to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And when we do, we will again be as they were on the receiving end of Jesus' compassion. And yet there's more to it. The communion table is always an open circle. Just as, I think, in this beautiful sanctuary, there is a, the, the Lord's table and around it a kneeling, a kneeling rail which is open. Now, did Ella Mae Ellis League think about this when she designed this sanctuary? I have, I have no idea. But as someone said, the communion table is always an open circle, and that gap in the, in the center, it's not just wide enough to accommodate two ushers taking offering plates to the Lord's table. It's wide enough to encompass the whole world. The disciples at this point would have been delighted to retire to some comfortable meal to share fellowship with their master. But the compassion of Christ said, no. Speaking of the disciples, you might want to notice two things about them. The first thing is that they are essential to the story. It couldn't have happened without them. We, as Christians, are helpless without him. And yet, he chooses to be helpless without us. Without him, we cannot. Without us, he will not. You could purchase the most expensive scalpel in the world, made of the finest steel, made in the greatest factory, made to the, to the finest uh, precision. That scalpel cannot operate by itself. On the other hand, the finest surgeon in the world cannot operate without a scalpel. In that, we are like that scalpel, but there's an important difference. <laughs> the scalpel has no choice in the matter. 
and we have a great deal of choice whether we will be used in the master's hand. So the disciples were, were essential, but they feel useless. That's a feeling I can identify with also. You know, this story of the feeding of the 5,000 is the only, only uh, miracle recorded in all four Gospels. And in John's Gospel, the way it develops is this. It's Andrew who comes up and says, there's a small, there's a boy here who has five loaves and two fish. And then he says, but what are they among so many? I know that feeling. I have this to offer. We together have this that Christ might use. But what is it? How, how little it seems in the face of the needs of the world. Our resources, no matter whether they're great or small in a human sense, our resources are never enough to change the world. But Jesus' compassion turned scarcity into abundance. General William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. At one point he was asked, why is the Salvation Army so effective? He said, oh, other people have had more to work with. Other people have been smarter than I ever was. But he said, from the moment that Jesus Christ put the poor of London on my heart, I resolved that he would have every bit of William Booth that there was. And so Jesus turned back to the disciples. They said, uh, we've got to manage this crowd, sir. Uh, we need to send them away. Uh, I'm sure they can find something to eat somewhere. And Jesus said, you, you give them something to eat. And it's not recorded in any of the Gospels, but I think their response was something like, huh? Me? Us? Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Take a basket. <laughs> no doubt some of you are wondering what happened to our angelic visitor in that Christmas service long ago. As several of us, as I say, were standing at the front trying to think of some way that we could help this, this woman, another young man in the congregation came up, friend of mine, he had uh, kids in the youth group along with ours, and he said, this morning as we were opening Christmas presents, our family said, we'd love to host a homeless person in, in our home for Christmas dinner today. We'd like her to come home with us. Take a basket. You can do that in a lot of ways. Here at the church, downstairs, there's outreach. Maybe that's your calling. Across town, there's the food pantry. Maybe it doesn't have to do with food itself. Maybe it's a matter of tutoring or visitation. Maybe it's just a matter of honestly listening to somebody who's hurting. Take a basket. You give them something to eat. Years ago, we bought a CD of the Beach Boys. Loved listening to that uh, album as we drove across, uh, across Georgia. Um, we enjoyed every song on that CD except for one. I, I don't know what happened when they recorded that, but I'm sure they had a bunch of microphones, at least, you know, one for every one of the Beach Boys, 
and one of them must not have been working right. And it was that high tenor falsetto part that makes the Beach Boys music so much fun. And let me tell you, Help Me Rhonda, Help Me Get Her Out of My Heart just doesn't sound the same without the tenor part. If you're listening to something in stereo, it doesn't do any good to turn off one speaker. But I believe that Jesus spoke in, I'll say, stereo. And too often people in the world who would follow Jesus try to turn off one speaker or the other. They want to say, well, Jesus wants to help people with their spiritual needs, but not their physical needs. Others say, we need to help with the physical needs, but not with, they're turning off one of the speakers and it just doesn't sound right. Jesus did heal and feed the, 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 the hungry. Jesus also saw both hunger and, and healing as part of something bigger and something more important. Mother Teresa was, was on the right track in her ministry with, with the dying. She said, we give dying people bread because they hunger and perish, not just for bread, but also for love. When we hand them bread, we are also giving them love. Since I read the text a few minutes ago, someone somewhere has died of malnutrition. By tomorrow, who knows how many will have died and perished in places that we've never even heard of. As Berdiah said, when you consider your own bread, it's a materialistic question, a good question, an important question, but a materialistic question. When you consider the bread of others, it's a spiritual question. You give them something to eat. A Hindu looked at a Christian friend of his at prayer. The, the Christian friend was praying as we normally pray, with head bowed and, and eyes closed, seeking to experience God in that way. And when he, when he finished his prayer, his Hindu friend said, why do you look for God with your eyes closed? Why don't you see him with your eyes open in the poor, the starred, the illiterate, and the afflicted? It's important for us to see Christ with our eyes closed in a way that we can realize his compassion that extends to us. But then it's crucial that we see him with our eyes open in the lonely people you will meet this week, in the hungry, hopeless, nameless, faceless crowds all around the world. May we pray. Loving God, we thank you for this story which inspires us and challenges us. Give us grace that we might be your arms and your hands doing your work in your world. In Jesus' name, amen.